welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother. Hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey, how you been doing? Just checking in today on you. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Diamond. Oh, I'm so excited to have this person on the show. I met Candace Simpson at a retreat, an Auburn University retreat. Is it, is it? No, Arbor Seminary retreat. And at this retreat, I was, I actually wasn't prepared <laughs> by the people who invited me. I wasn't prepared what I was going to get into. And, but I was absolutely pleasantly surprised by the activities, by the people that I met. It was quite interesting, just just a beautiful experience. And so we it, it just brings a bunch of um, thought leaders. It brings a bunch of similar mindsetted people into a space and we talk about, you know, various issues. And it was beautiful. One of the things that really stand out in that experience for me was um, while we're all talking and having these different various um, ideological discussions, they had artists creating a mural <laughs> for all the days that we were there. And so while we're discussing the stuff, they're literally coming up with a mural throughout the days. And it was so beautiful. And so like, oh, this is really creative. And I hadn't seen somebody do that before. And then there was, uh, there were so many different um, religious um, sectors and people from different walks of life in, in regards to religion. And the panels were great. The events were great. We were, because we were there in a, somebody else's city, we were able to explore different parts of the city and come back and tell people what, what, what we experienced. It was just a great curated experience. And uh, one of the highlights is at the end of the night, we all went to the bar and have fun. <laughs> and Arya introduced, Arya Saeed introduced me to you. And is it your boo or was your boo? Yeah, my former partner. Yeah, your former partner. And we all went out and we spent going, we was finding food, Chinese food. We was finding drinks. We just had such a great time. And Candace's spirit was so, so fun and down to earth and cool. And I said, I'm going to have to eventually get her on the show. <laughs> so I'd like to introduce y'all to Candace Simpson. <laughs> That your retelling of that story just like gave me the good kind of butterflies, you know, because <laughs> I, re I remember vividly um, it was us. Um, LaVon was there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like we were just. Chilling at the like, I think that might have been the last night that we were all. Yeah, it was the last night. And I have no I, I really don't know how we all decided to go. That day. We were out. We were outside of the hotel, just sitting, talking. 
Aria was smoking. Um, we were all sitting out talking and kicking, and we were like, "Hey, so what are we about to do? Look, Is everybody? Yeah, we was like, what's up? A totally different world from now. Like even <laughs> just you know the the ease with which we just fell into those plans. But, yeah, yeah. So you telling that story just really made me smile because it it brought back really really good memories uh, with amazing people, and I'm just glad to. Chill with you in your own space today. Um, yes. Yes, yes. When you giggle, I can't deal with you. Are you silly. <laughs> so in that space, I, uh, I I was I I was moved because of all the people they brought together when it comes to our um, you know, just our history and how it just was so easy like we a lot of time when we talk about like religion and you know did feminist ideology and womanism and did whatever whatever perspective we are um discussing people make it seem like oh there's so much clash and we can't get along and da 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 but actually in that space it felt like everybody was just sharing their thoughts and sharing hey this is this is how we do it over here. And this is what we think about it over here. And it just was a beautiful moment. How did you read that moment in that? How did you read that space when you were in it? So much like love and appreciation and gratitude for the people who worked at Auburn, who got us all out there. And um, particularly for Lisa Anderson. Yes. Hey, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to send her this when it goes live because she the whole team really did something beautiful, but you know, her, her vision of like building from the experiences and the needs and the gifts of black women, particularly black queer women really did shift the space. Like it wasn't just like a conference. It was, um, and it certainly wasn't, you know, without flaw. Like anytime you put people together, there will always be disagreements. And like some people don't jive with other people's kind of opinion. I don't I don't think we had at least I didn't see, you know, the kind of disagreements about like shit that I'm not going to argue with you about. Right. I'm not gonna argue with you about queerness, I'm not going to argue with you about like like I'm just there's something that I'm just not going to argue with you about. Um, but there was like that kind of fine tuning of an argument, like sharing experiences and kind of going back and forth and like coming to a different understanding. Um, so I think the way that it was curated and hosted, I mean, I still, you know, as you were kind of telling the story of how we met, I'm like, damn, like that's what I really miss about being able to be together because yeah. You know, we can approximate certain kinds of intimacies online, but, you know, we were talking about earlier, like the beauty of going to day parties and like shaking your ass on somebody and, Facts. Like, you know, having somebody buy you a drink or like, you know, just the, the smell of like being with other people mm-hmm. is like a thing that I'm like, dang, I used to complain about how funky you would get in these basements. And- <laughs> And now I'm like, damn, what I would give for like, you know, the the evidence of a, a night well spent, you know? Yeah. And those little, those little moments that, especially when it's a, 
a black centered curated thing that right. we that only we can do like even in the in that space like i remember the, the a little nuance that i thought was really really beautiful is when like when it like when we were done eating how they signaled for us to come back into the space into the speaking space was mm-hmm. that lady singing some yoruba songs and you know and it wasn't just hey everybody come on come to the room and da 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 it was very her calling to you singing to you and whoever thought of that was fucking brilliant because I thought that that was so unique I had never experienced that in a conference setting and I was like oh that is cute and it's those little things that really make make gathering particularly spaces that are curated by black people that um that really um that really makes me miss it I, rem- I, I was telling you about um, the gathering in New York with T with Queen and Jay and um, for Pod and Live and Juneteenth is just how the care and uh, one of the, the very first time I went to one of their event, they it was on silent. We couldn't hear it, but they had living single episodes being projected on the wall of the club. Oh, wow. <laughs> like the just. Exactly. And so, yeah, we, we're, it's almost like a, a, a club setting where, you know, we got a DJ and da, 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 da. But what you see is, you know, Martin or Living Single or something that's, you know, on the wall and, and those little cute little things. Cause we, you got to know black culture and what that means to us to even, to even think of it as the decor of the setting. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? I love that. Like just, Black culture being the environment, like mm. in the walls, and you know, for better and for worse, like all the the great stuff that comes from those shows, and all the like the stuff that once you see it years later, you're like, "Ooh, wait a minute, this was weird." You know what yeah. I mean? So, but I I value that. Like I I value being able to return to those shows. Like when they put Moesha on Netflix, <laughs> I watched that. I watched, I watched all the girlfriends and I, I told, I must've blanked it out in my mind that it ended like that. Like I abruptly. Heard, yeah. And then I remember that was the writer's strike. Cause like yeah. a bunch of writers went on strike or whatever. And I remember that whole storyline of like Joan being with the guy who was in the military and then it just reminded me of like, oh, wow, 2001, 2002, 2003, you know, what was going on in our country? Like, that was a whole, yeah. a whole uh, thing. Yeah. It, yeah. it really, I, it's funny because I don't really think about those historic moments in a conscious way, but I mm-hmm. do remember like cultural moments where like Black people kind of spoke to those times. And then, like that was a thing I remember. Like I remember Petey Pablo, um, you know, North Carolina. Uh-huh. Helicopter. Like I remember that. And then there was a version where it was like America stand up or something like like they made like a patriotic version at one point. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, like I remember that was like a thing. And I'm like, whoa, this was an era of like all this kind of patriotic stuff happening with black culture and like black popular culture. And that, and that was strange. If you think of, for me growing up and even kind of now, 
it that we to me you know and i don't think it's just me but we have always felt a little bit as black people outside of that patriotism but for some reason um because of how we are set up in uh, but to talk and be bucked up against the government (laughs) um when 9-11 happened it felt like I felt like, oh, this is some type of unity that's happening. This is some type of, oh, it is us against the world or, you know, not the world, but we are a part of this unit. And so it's the first time that I ever thought about that, thought about patriotism in that way and how people were talking about it and how there was, even if it was just for a little uh, fleeting moment, there was a moment where I felt like American. Where I felt like, um, like, oh, I am an American and we are in this space and we we are threatened. So now what? So I, I like date everything through like school, like how old I was. Like what was I doing? Mm-hmm. So I was in sixth grade when 9-11 happened. And I remember um, that year, a whole bunch of musicians were going to put out a version of what's going on. Mm. And it was like Diddy was on it, Destiny's Child, Britney Spears, Pink, Gwen Stefani, um, like a lot of different. I want to Kid Rock, Nelly Furtado. Like there were a lot of artists. It was kind of like the millennial version of We Are the World. Yeah. And so at first, before 9-11, it was just supposed to be like the money from the CD was supposed to be for HIV and AIDS research and like supporting people who were living with AIDS and HIV. And then 9-11 happened and they were like, oh, this is a patriotic song. And so they like, I remember they like started, you know, putting like the American flag on the CD when they were selling, remember CDs? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Selling them, you know. And I remember being like, whoa, what happened? But I think what they did was they split the money with, this is my sixth grade brain remembering this. I'm not sure if this actually happened, but the way I remember it is they split the profits so that half would go to HIV and AIDS and then the other half would go to families who had been affected directly by the towers. And I think that was the first time in my life where I was like, damn. Now we have to make choices with limited resources because all the people who thought they were going to get the full proceeds and all the projections, they thought they were going to make X amount of money and now they're going to make less because of this worldwide event that had happened Um, and feeling really conflicted about that. Wow, yeah. As an adult, I'm more like, ooh, that... I remember around that season, the song Proud to Be an American was very, very popular. And I never really liked the song because I just don't, I never thought that it slapped the way that people made it seem like it was. Like, <laughs> like it don't really move me, but okay. Um, but now as an adult, I'm like, wow, what a, I think what you said about like us as Black folks living outside of the possibilities of patriotism you know, but then still having to fall in line with some of the kind of mechanisms, like all of us, many of us, I won't speak in absolutes, but many of us have family members who have served in the military, which was an option because 
there were no others, you know? So it's like, I, I, I really struggle with like how to best tell the people that I'm connected to, like that I value you as a human being. Um, but I also don't respect the military or the, the, um, just the, the imperialist arm that we have. Um, and maybe it's an illusion to support an individual versus like the, you know, the whole machine itself. Mm-hmm. But we're always like that, right? We're always making those kind of choices. Even when we talk about like our politicians, we don't, we don't fuck with the government like that. But once you sign on to be a politician, particularly a black politician or a queer politician, you are now a part of this system. And sometimes we know that you're making choices that are not always in- integrally sound. Like you, that, that, you get what I'm saying? We know you're making compromises that we may not agree with behind the scenes. We we know you're going to be a part of this this beast that we don't fuck with. And so, yeah, we may vote for you. We may fuck with you on a, on a personal level. You may be, we may like you and we know you're trying to make the best we can, but you still now are a part of this system. And so we're always constantly um, navigating the nuances of things. We always, when the government, the military, religion, the, um, you know, how, yeah, you, you, you may be um, a pillar of the community and you help some people, but you also close the door on some people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we appreciate you because you probably are all that we got in regards to um, being, you know, the, like the Black church. Like you, the church is a place that has historically been a part of, you know, how we activate community, how we... Um, a place where we can meet up when we need to strategize, da 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 da. But it also has been a place that kicked pregnant teens out. It's yeah. also a place that kicked queer people out. So it, we always have had to make those kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, compromises with where people stand, the nuance of people stand. I was just having um, a conversation with a friend about like, just how do you navigate um, being part of this institution? Like for me, it's a church as a pastor and also like being accountable to the violence that's done in your name. Mm. And um, I will never forget this was 2018 and Saheed Vassal was murdered by the NYPD. And, you know, I decided to go to the vigil because it was very close to where I was living at the time. And uh, you could just feel like, like just high emotions, like high and like very thoughtful, incisive critique, like um, just really brilliant, like ways of not just talking about this one death as something we should mourn, but as like part of a bigger structure. And so, um, somebody called out to the audience or they got on the mic and they were like, um, so we're going to have so-and-so from the NYPD um, chaplain office. And the crowd was like, no, no. And the person on the mic was like, no, it's, um, it's not NYPD. It's clergy. 
and somebody yelled from the audience, clergy is the cops. And like everyone mm. laughed because you really had to sit there and think about it and be like, yeah, you know, Christian clergy and the cops do tend to, you know, cover each other's backs in so many ways. Um, yeah. So I was just having a conversation with a friend about like, what it, like, can you do this work from the inside with integrity? Um, I don't think it is the same as like cops or military, although, you know, our most mainstream and our most popular representatives would have you believe otherwise, because they all kind of ride with each other. But um, I do think that particularly the Black church and uh, Black churches that are accountable to a radical history and radical beginnings um, is very different from like, oh, but I'm, I'm just as bad as rah, 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 you know. Um, but I do think about that sometimes, like, is this the kind of work that I want to be in? Um, and every time I even think about putting the toe out of the door, it's the people that bring me back and make me feel like it's not so much about the religion or the tradition or um, the building even at this point, because what building are we in? It's the people, it's the relationships, it's what you talked about, the, the kind of, gathering and like intimate space holding that we do for each other you know people are born when people are buried when people get married people get divorced like all of that kind of life cycle stuff is really sacred to me to kind of witness from the inside if it exists as she in the morning as she in the evening as she all the time don't you niggas get tired of being ashy all the time Ashy in the morning, ashy in the evening, ashy all the time Don't you niggas get tired of being ashy all the time Moisture, moisturize Moisture, moisturize Moisture, moisturize Moisture, So the celebrity dudes So the celebrity dudes are being real ashy this week. Really ashy. From the baby and his fiasco of trying to shame and add even more stigma to people living with HIV or AIDS to him worrying about who's sucking dick in the parking lot to him worrying about who put what pussy smell like they always got commentary on what pussy smell like anyway while also worrying about who is sticking a dick in another man's butt you would think that they wouldn't have time especially like ti who love to jump in in conversations like this nigga you adding your two cents when it really that two cents could be going to some lawyers because all the damn accusers you got accusing you or your wife of foolishness, that's what your time should be spent on. But no, you got time to jump in and add your homophobic perspective, your hypocritical homophobic perspective. And then, of course, we have the ashy of all the ashies, 
little bootsy who for some reason he doesn't even come into the pop culture stratosphere until it's some gay shit happen that he wants to comment on and he has to add his two cents about gay shit that is just that's just his that's kind of like his claim to fame now let me comment on the gay shit that's happening now little baby is being held accountable for all the bullshit well i don't know about held accountable i don't know if that's the right word but people are calling him out <laughs> for the bullshit he said and because of the foolishness they have decided to bring in little Nas and give them commentary give and give their commentary on his video making all kind of false you know narratives and false comparisons and all the kind of bullshit but i expect that from the ashy ass niggas i expect that from cishet men this is not something out of their norm this is kind of what they do we this is normal we know mr hyman check and little bootsy don't cut his dick off man from louisiana we, this is kind of their thing i don't know is this new from little baby i don't know but it's not new from the cis head crew this is what we get from cis has me and ashiness ash dusty tumbleweed ass niggas hard ankle ass niggas this is what we get from them i'm pretty pretty used to that what i kind of want to talk about is how sometimes gay people when holding these cis head men accountable Sometimes their own homophobia or transphobia comes out in their language and in how they're handling the situation. For example, Jason Lee. The video caught a lot of hate. People are getting so mad. Now, what's so crazy is half you rapper niggas be sucking dick. You know you do because I know you do. And I never say anything because one of my rules at Hollywood Unlocked is that we don't out people anymore. Well, effective today, any rapper that I catch the tea on sucking dick on their knees and licking them tranny balls, I'm telling. If you're a rapper out here sliding around the city with a nigga who got titties, because y'all are mad that this gay man is living his life and winning more than you. I know two rappers right now who took a shower together. Their names want to spill out my mouth right now. I want to say their names right now. But I ain't going to do it. <laughs> I ain't going to do it. So I know your intentions are good. But the impact, look, this is just not giving what it's supposed to give, honey. This is, this is you using transphobic language, using all kind of tr trans slurs. This is you just reinforcing the stigma. Anytime you are implying that these homophobes are gay and you're going to expose them, using those kind of threatening fear tactics it really just enforces the stigma and actually it implies that 
somebody being this homophobic motherfucker is undercover gay repressing some shit when really you don't really need to be a secret homophobe to be anti-gay <laughs> you don't th- like it's literally ingrained in cishet culture for you to be anti-gay and so regular degular ashy ass straight men who don't like men are going to be <laughs> are going to be indoctrinated in the idea of homophobia they're gonna have that ideology in them now there are some that are secure in their sexuality secure in their manhood the great unicorn of cishet men <laughs> We're, you're gonna see those and they're great yeah you should be comfortable in your own sexuality to where you're not jumping in to attack gay people every gay image that you see but I just want you to know that regular, regular, straight dudes can be just homophobic. They don't have to have any kind of attraction to men. They just feel that they need to be anti-gay. They lost in the homophobic sauce. This is what they feel and have been taught that they're supposed to do in response to gay shit. This is what they taught they're supposed to do. So they're just doing it. They don't have to be secretly, oh, I'm secretly wanting to suck cock. Oh, I'm secretly wanting to get some dick in my ass. I'm secretly want to put my dick in somebody else's ass. Oh, I secretly want to get my dick sucked. All that kind of shit. No, they don't need that. They can just be a homophobe because that's what the culture teaches them to be. So you presenting it in this way doesn't really help our cause. And I have a hunch, you know, while... I'm a trans woman, so I know that there are undercover dudes out here that are, you know, being shady and may say some shit, even though they got some skeletons in their closet. That does exist. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I'm I'm almost willing to bet that that's not the same crowd as the T.I.s and the the babies and um, Lil Bootsy. I really just think they're just regular, regular heterosexual homophobes. Honestly, I don't think they're secretly gay. I think they are invested in toxic masculinity. I think they are invested in patriarchy. And this is what you are supposed to do when you see gay men being free. Attack it. So. Yeah, so make sure anybody, not just Jason Lee, but anybody, when you are responding to these ashy-ass straight men, that your internalized homophobia or your internalized transphobia is not kind of popping up (laughs) in your rebuttal. Because I'm seeing a lot of this. I'm seeing a lot of foolishness come out of your mouth when y'all are responding to these people that on the surface it sounds like yeah uh uh-huh and you might have some people that agree with you or like the status or like the heart the tweet (laughs) that because they have homophobia and transphobia in them and they they don't understand that what they're doing is actually showcasing it and so yeah we got to do better and that's all I wanted to say. So this has been not a trans 101, but a fucking let's talk to these ashy ass niggas. <laughs> ashy in the morning, ashy in the evening, ashy all the time. 
Don't you niggas get tired of being ashy all the time Ashy in the morning, ashy in the evening, ashy all the time Don't you niggas get tired of being ashy all the time Moisture, moisturize Moisture, moisturize Elbow Moisture, moisturize Moisture, moisturize Lips too, nigga Ashy in the morning, ashy in the evening, ashy all the time Don't you niggas get tired of being ashy all the time God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So, not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts, I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck (laughs) so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. Recently, not recently. I, I, I say recently because... COVID, the, the erasure <laughs> of 2020. <laughs> I the whole, skipped a whole year. And 2021 at this point. Basically. <laughs> but but I did an event with, um, early in 2020, I did an event with um, the Smithsonian. Um, and it was called God Talks. Oh, yeah. And we, they flew us to Dallas and they just brought a bunch of thought leaders and the, honey, the, the orchestration of the event. Once again, this is another event that was orchestrated so beautifully. Mm. We were sitting at this table that was, and they were recording it and it was just so, um, just beautiful. Like it was the decorations, the, it just was amazing. And so, um. And it just was, a, it was talking about God and what we thought and how different religion that we, that we practice. And so in that conversation, we were a lot of, when the women got together, we were, to, you know, when we're talking about religion, a lot of times black women, when we, get, when we gather, they're going to talk about patriarchy and how doors are shut in religion and how you know, we are making inroads into dismantling the patriarchy that is built into the governance of religion. And I always like to hear how people are navigating that kind of space. And so you are a pastor. How are, in your history of becoming um, who you are now, in the position that you are now, how, what kind of, what kind of, you know, what type of obstacles did you see yourself getting over or bucking up against once you got into that pastor space? 
And this has been like a constant conversation, even among like other queer clergy, because there's a lot of us. There's a lot of black queer clergy. um, And we all know each other as in some way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's, you know, when you find yourself in these spaces over and over again, and you're always a person that's raising the same question, you tend to find your people very quickly. Um, But I think in some ways I'm cautious about the word privilege um, because I think it's too dainty of a word sometimes, but I think I have had cushions and privileges that have allowed my own career and my own vocation to take shape relatively unbothered. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that is because um, I really love my home church and um, shout out to the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really love my home church and this is the church where I'm serving now. And they, I've I've been at this church since before I was born um, because both of my parents are on the pastoral team. So in many ways, like there are cushions of um, people knowing, not necessarily like, it wasn't the cushion of like, oh, Candace can do this because she is the kid. Because let me tell you how true, how untrue that is. Um, but it was more so like, this is our baby um, and we love her. And so this is who she is. And I consider that a great privilege to come from a church that I still want to be part of. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't have that experience um, And I think because my home base was very strong and affirming um, in the like, in the way that like black folks affirm each other, Um, like the I see you, you know, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. You know, I've been praying for you, those sorts of things. Um, Because home was so supportive, um, it was very easy to move about like, and to be in different spaces because I had the support of my home church. And again, a lot of people don't have that, um, particularly when you're queer or trans. And so, um, yeah, I just value that. I, I do think what bothers me more than anything is it's not, there have been obstacles that I've experienced um, due to queerness, due to youth, <laughs> due to my gender. Um, and then, and like mixed company due to race. Um, but I think what what's more frustrating is um, the and i'm I'm speaking broadly, not necessarily at my particular space, knowing that if you don't raise something or if you don't say something, it's not going to be said. Um, which then turns you into here go Candace talking about <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> it just becomes this whole um you you kind of get put into, oh, she does LGBTQ stuff. I don't. That's actually not my um that's not my work. My work is in Christian education. I'm an educator, but um, you know, it's the same way where like, if you're the one black person in a company, you become the diversity, equity, and inclusion (laughs) 
officer. It's like, this person might not be um, interested in this kind of work, but I, I do think what's, what is hardest is um, watching kind of like national conversations, like particularly the one about when Lil Nas X dropped Montero. Right. It was like a brilliant theological commentary. And the fact that it came out around Holy Week was very significant to me because, you know, you, you're watching this Black, queer, beautiful, like, child slide down the stripper pole into hell. And that's what we say Jesus did during that weekend. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's literally, like, doing the whole choreography of, you know, Holy Week. And all people could, like, fixate on was, like, oh, the devil. Ugh. I, I don't have a problem with him being gay, but he always got to throw it in our face. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know, y'all wonder why people don't want to hang out with us. And it's, it's <laughs> like this. Cause you missed, I mean, he was, he just said so much that I'm still chewing on like the whole twin motif. The fact that he continues to play multiple characters in all of his, in all of his videos. Right. Um, and this fact that like, searching for himself like he's trying to find himself i mean that persecution scene where like somebody throws a butt plug and that knocks him out like and it's him it's all him and like he's the one persecuting himself he's the bailiff he's the guard he's the judge like it's just such a compelling image to describe what we experience like that sometimes all of sometimes the worst enemy that we have is the internalized voice that we play at night when it's just us. When we could be like praying and thanking God for like breath in our lungs, or we could be, you know, help me through this speech I'm doing tomorrow, da 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 da. Like we just replay this the tape of how unworthy we think we are, how undeserving we believe we are. And that's all because somebody's pastor decided to fixate on that. Yeah. Like it's I, I think that is my my least favorite thing is, you know, if I'm visiting another church or at a convention or at some, you know, ecumenical kind of conference event and somebody starts preaching and um somehow like we weren't even talking about sex and gender and sexuality, but somehow you figured out a way to like Throw us under the bus. Y'all get so creative. Like even that, that also blows my mind. Like you, you make this connection. Like you literally just made this connection and it should have been made, but you made this connection. And then when something like this, this, this artistic expression, y'all, y'all, y'all study a book that has tons of parable and tons of metaphor. And, and all of a sudden, Y'all have no imagination. Y'all have no way to distinct that this, oh, you're you're slap dancing with the devil. You you literally have no imagination of you looking at this metaphorically and right. really dissecting it with that kind of way. It just it's it feels like um right. in- intellectually disingenuous. Like it, it just feels like you are purposely not trying to see this as a critique. <laughs> yeah it just felt weird no you're you're right like and that, and that's a good point about like how is it that 
We say that we believe in liberation. We say that we follow someone who made something out of nothing. You know, we say we follow this this person who could literally walk on water, turn the mundane water into wine. Like, I mean, how do how do we how do we believe in all of these other like otherworldly things? that like are not scientifically possible. And yet, like it's too much to believe that not everybody needs to be a cisgender heterosexual person and not everybody who is cishet wants to be married and Mm. have children. And like, you know, my heart kind of gets upset about these things. My brain knows that there are reasons why there's a history as to how this became, you know, even down to like people adding the word homosexual in the Bible in the forties when it was never there before. So it's just like, I know intellectually how we got here, but it's still, you know, it still breaks my heart to know that this is the witness that we have, you know, especially in a pandemic when like this is the one time that we should be demonstrating what it means to love, not just love the people who go to your church, not just love the people who are like you, but like to love, to provide, to share resources, to like get uncomfortable, to explore, to be curious. Like these are things that Jesus did. And um, it's really, I mean, I, I got a lot of words for people who, you know, just want to mimic Christ. Um, but I'm a behave. But <laughs> cuz once I start going, we're not going to stop and it's <laughs> like coming up with all kinds I'm making up new curse words. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just it's it it ought not be this way. A lot of people will say like, "Oh, you know, your church is different." Or like I want to go to the church where you're the pastor. And I even think that that is an illusion. Like as long as we are practicing Christianity, we have to undo all of the toxic stuff we've inherited, even in the black church, like the ableism that we have rampant, the fat phobia, the transphobia, the homophobia, the misogyny, the, Oh, you supposed to be married. You supposed to live this way. You supposed to produce, produce, produce. Like, we still have to unlearn that and undo that if we actually really want to build a community together. In doing that, like, if it just feels—I don't know—sometimes it feels like futile. Like, it feels like okay. Like when we're take it out of religion, when we're talking about um, anti-capitalism, okay. When we're talking about anti-capitalism, it because it is it feels like because it is so ingrained in how our country runs, how we are able to survive, how we are able to pay bills and get shelter and get food is so connected to capitalism. Mm -hmm. So to have a politic or have an ideology that is anti-capitalist. It feels like almost like you're constantly being hypocritical or you're constantly in a situation where you have to make a compromise. Like, yeah, I want to do I want to 
um, be anti-capitalist, but I got to run my business like this because this is how the system is set up. That's what it feels like when I think about, you know, like a womanist theology. When I think about Black women coming into um into religion and really kind of trying to shake it up, it almost feels like you really have no choice but to be a part of the system that is from the foundation, Um, patriarchal or um, anti-queer. And it's like, almost like it's, yeah, you can find safe spaces in um, certain churches that kind of like make leeway. But when you think of the bigger picture, it's never going, it feels like it's never going to change. How do you, I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it, does. it does. You know, it's um, for some time I've been playing with this idea of like the Bible as a neutral book. Mm. And I kind of think about it like Twitter or Facebook or whatever have you like there's different communities within Twitter. You know, you have yes. the love and light grand rising, you know, crystals mm. girls on Twitter. LLC Twitter. Right. You got LLC Twitter. Mm -hmm. You got um, kink Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, ratchet feminist Twitter. Right. You like there's different genres throughout Twitter and some Um, overlap. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But there's different places. So someone who helped me with this was um, Dr. Will Gaffney, who is a womanist um, scholar. She's a Bible scholar at um, Bright Divinity School. And oh my gosh, has she like set me free? Um, she, she talks about like the Bible having different genres and how, um, you know, even when a preacher may get up to preach, there's different genres even in that person's sermon. There's the greeting, there's a joke, there's like the fact, there's the news piece, but like you never confuse them for each other. And so similarly, like I think the Bible is a neutral book that has, and I say neutral, not because it's, it's harmless, because it, it has a lot of really dangerous stuff in there. Um, but I say neutral because like, as much as it has a lot of stories about liberation, about resistance, like about, you know, being subversive, like Rahab is one of my favorite stories. Like she is someone who is, people disagree about whether she was a sex worker or not. I happen to believe that she was. Um, And so she basically hides these spies in in her home and she's able to do so because she is a known, or people believe her to be a, a sex worker. And so nobody thinks twice of men coming in and out of her house. And so like those sorts of stories are really compelling to me because I'm like, Yes, let's follow this thread. Let's pay attention to, you know, particularly stories of women and gender queer characters in the Bible who are doing really radical things. So, I mean, there's there's great things and there's also like rape and conquest and like war and like war crimes, like all kinds of stuff that seem to be sanctioned by God. Um, but I think it's like any other text, like you have to discern okay, what about this am I going to follow? And what about this am I going to 
not only throw away, but like actively say, this is not okay. I don't care if I said it. I don't care if it was collected in a Bible. This is not anything holy. I agree with you on like feeling like, like how do you live in a world that's like so deeply evil? Like there's so much trouble around us. And sometimes we're the trouble, but you know, it makes me think of, I don't know if you watch um, Steven Universe. Have you heard of that show? I've heard of it, but I don't watch it. Oh my gosh. You're going to love it when you eventually watch it. But long story short, they really deal with the problem of utopia and the problem of um, imagining that like we're ever going to eradicate all of the problems from our movements, from our communities, from our households even. Um, so there comes a point in the story where like, Basically, the main character, there's there's no more trouble. All of the bad people have been defeated. There's harmony in the universe. And so they're trying to like now live a new way, but there's still conflict. There's still interpersonal conflict. There's still people holding on to the old way. There's still people like rubbing up against what society told them they were supposed to be versus like who they actually want to be. So... I really appreciate that show for that purpose. Like it really shows that like we might think that we're building something new and like pristine and like sanitized and like all the trouble is outside. But even if you build a place like that, it will follow you inside because we're still living under capitalism. You know, like even the people who want to have ethical businesses have to negotiate all sorts of things, you know, how they want to treat their workers and how they want to build solidarity among each other. So yeah, like we're always going to be impacted by capitalism, but we can still make choices to, and we can still build solidarity more than choices. Um, so that like we're actively trying to tear that down, you know, like anytime, you know, I love to see, people sharing GoFundMes, sharing um, like mutual aid links, any sort of like collective project to like, oh, we're going to build a home. We're going to build a collective. We're going to start a this and that. We're going to, you know, because I think that is a perforation of capitalism because we've pooled resources together. It's us, you know, and for whichever people decide to do it, because you don't have to participate in everybody's Mm -hmm. everything. But, you know, just people get together and like decide, no, we're done renting from this person. We're going to pitch in, buy a house, and like develop it together as like a collective. You know, like that. Those are the kinds of, if you can make choices out of capitalism. Like I think we as Black people, Black queer people, Black queer women know how to do very well. I think so too. And 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 understanding that is a constant. Um, it's a constant project. I think that it, everything isn't going to fit everybody. Everything isn't going to um, please everybody. I remember this. I know Dr. Seuss is kind of problematic in some sense, but I, one of the stories that I remember when I was younger that really stayed with me when I got older is um, the Sneetches. This is the Sneetches story and how, you know, every, is these 
creatures that have like stars on their bellies and one of them didn't have a star on their belly and he did everything his possible way to try to get a star on his belly because he wanted they treated him bad because he wasn't one of them and da 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 it just was a it was just a perfect example of you know how I was feeling as a queer kid how I was feeling and or heard about as a black kid and um you know, just all these things that just made me different and, you know, how I was being treated and how there was this urge to be like this at some point, urge to try to be like this or whatever. But then the beautiful part of the story is once he did do that, they flipped it where it was no star on the belly. And then now you got this star on your belly and then this comes in and out. And it it just was wild. And so in my in my mind, I always think about how this is a constant project that we are that we are that we are working on when we talk about getting to utopia or getting to um any better any better place for people it is constant we're not going to ever get to a place where we please every single person that we please everybody's ideology that is not where we get what we are trying to do is to me is going to be a constant a constant um tweaking a constant um you know, revamping to make it work for the most people. Sometimes there's going to be people that you just can't work. I can't work with. I can't, I can't make you happy because it just doesn't fit with my ideology. And so because of that, um, it's going to be a constant thing, a constant battle. There's going to be people who are uh, overlapping, who's going to be pushing and waxing and waning, on what you want and what they want. And it's just going to be a constant thing. So we're never going to get there, but we're, it's just the the attempt because we can't just sit still and let some of the bad stuff that is happening continue to happen. But um, long as we understand that it is a constant project to make things better for our particular people. You know, who helped me with that? Um, Octavia Butler's parable of the sower mm-hmm. really, really helped me. Um, stop romanticizing the future and even to stop romanticizing the revolution. Mm. You know, like I, I would say things like, oh, when the revolution comes, rah, rah, rah. But if we keep acting like how we act today, when the revolution comes, there's going to be hierarchies. It's going to be, you know, if we don't unlearn like some of those toxic hierarchies, like what's the point of having a revolution if, there's a whole new underclass of people being created. Um, and I like in reading her book, you know, she, she kind of talks about like just how difficult it is to build community. Like sometimes people don't agree with all the tenants, you know, sometimes people, um, sometimes people show up cause they want the community, but like they actually don't believe in the, the, the sacred text, but they're just here. Cause like, I like donuts and coffee, you know, like I want to help move the chairs, you know, like I want to do like kids ministry because I'm a teacher and I'm like, I would love to go through the background check because this is like important work for me. You know what I mean? Like, but I just, I, I valued that book because it kind of made me think more pragmatically and to say like, yeah, everything that we do is, is <clears throat> it will need tweaking. And we're going to have to have shared principles and values about how we tweak it. Like, I used to be the kind of teacher who was like, I want everyone to be happy. And now I'm the kind of teacher that's like, 
I want the student in the class who has the hardest time in class at all. I want that person to be happy. If that person is happy, then the whole group is going to learn how to reorient around that. So, you know, like you said, like, you're not going to agree with everything. You're not going to like everything. Everything's not going to be comfortable. Um, but as long as, I mean, I, I try to orient even when I'm teaching at the church, like, or I'm like doing different, you know, workshops here or there, it is so important that like the people who don't, the people in the histories that are often ignored, pushed to the side, you know, that those are uplifted and those are remembered as a way of like, y'all will be okay. We'll all, we, we won't die just because we learned something new, you know, like, which like that, that is what community is. It's exploring, it's curiosity with each other as we're going on this little journey called life. Who, when you were growing up, were maybe not necessarily queer, but um, who were like your queer icons? They may not have been queer, uh, but maybe read as queer. Like, who are some people in your place that said, hmm, that seems like my people? <laughs> you know, this is the first time I'm admitting this in a very long time. Um, I had a thing for Raven Simone. Mm -hmm. I, I had a thing for her. I, it was, um, I, I, so I grew up with Raven. Like, <clears throat> I don't really, I think I was too young to really know her well on the Cosby show. Um, and I actually heard her, you know, talk about like, yeah, I don't really remember much about being on the Cosby show. Like she was so little. Yeah, she was so tiny. Um, screw Cosby. We just have to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> because it's true. Like, I'm tired of him. I'm tired of people making him into the next Jesus because that's one mm, thing. He's fuck out of here. Okay. Um, but she was in. So she was in a bunch of Disney movies. She was in. Xenon, the sequel, like that was the second Xenon movie. And I loved like the little Black Girl from the Future motif that she gave and that um, low-key, that's like my athleisure inspiration. Like whenever I get stuff from Old Navy, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like the girl from Xenon. It's, I'm Raven <laughs> Simone. <laughs> um, but she was in that. And then she was in Cheetah Girls. and. Um, that's a Raven, obviously. But I, what I really loved about like projects that she was in, she was in Dr. Doolittle. Like yeah. she always found herself in these like otherworldly plots. Like, I mean, technically Cheetah Girls was realistic fiction, but it was, it was a very otherworldly plot because when else do we see stories of like black girls and a white homegirl? Like, doing the things that the Cheetah Girls were doing, like traveling across the world and like doing, you know, fun stuff. But I loved her in That's So Raven because um, maybe that might've been the beginning of my like interest in 
like Afrofuturism and just like kind of funky sci-fi stuff. Cause the idea that she could see the future and try to kind of bend herself around it was really dope to me. Um, but she like at the time, like I don't believe she was out. Like she had not identified as a queer person. Um, but I always felt some kinship sisterhood with her. You know, I'm just like, oh, Raven. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I was obsessed with everything she would do. Like I remember she did a cover of Stevie Wonder's Superstition, and I loved that. I'm sure if I listened to it today, I would think it was trash because how can you <laughs> Stevie Wonder? You know, like. But I was just obsessed with everything she did. Um, and yeah, definitely like now that like I understand her as someone who is like queer, she's kind of like retroactively figuring as a queer icon for me. Right. Um, I'm trying to think who else was like now. Anybody who knows me also knows that I've always had a thing for Queen Latifah. Like, and it's not like the obviously she had powerful has a powerful like rap resume, but it was the jazz album that really got me. The Dana Owens. Yeah. The Dana Owens album, because she can sing. Like she has pipes and it was something about seeing her like do something different. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was probably really difficult to get the label or whomever, you know, her team to like, sign off on her doing a jazz album. Like, you're Queen Latifah, you rap. Like, all the ways we try to put women in boxes, but, mm-hmm. uh, she's so fine. Like, I'm just, I just be stressed. <laughs> but I think she brilliantly shifted because I know she she did, um, she, w- she got into Living Single and then she, um, you know, she got into that movie acting, she got the, you know, to set it off. And then she did um, Chicago. And yeah. then around that time, you know, she just brilliantly kind of, we, I feel like we, our artists have to, they have to have a strategy when they want to be more expansive, when right. they want to be, you know, outside of whatever genre that they got pigeonholing in the beginning, they have to be really, uh, it has to be a tactic to get you to see them outside of that box. Even, you know, our actors, when, when we want to see them in something like, you know, more harsh and evil and, or, or more good if they have been pigeonholed the good. I really feel like um, we have to be strategic. We have to be more strategic than other people because it's easy for them to say, oh, well, let's let her try this and let her try this. Da, da, da. But for us, we have to be strategic. And I think Queen Latifah was brilliant in her sense to be more mainstream, to get out of that um, that pigeonhole of I'm a rap girl. And it's because, you know, I think even her feminine um, um, presentation got a little bit more feminine than than we were used to back in the day. It, it was always Afrocentric. It was always, you know, tomboyish, da da da. But for, in order for her to cross over, she had to present a little bit more femininely and. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I think it was very, very brilliantly strategic in how she went into Chicago and then did the album where I'm, I'm going to do jazz now and something different. And so, yeah, I thought it was, I think that was a great. Yeah. She, I mean, 
there's, I always think about like, set it off as like, oh, I like really have a thing for you. Like, that's definitely the movie where I was like, this is my wife. This is my future wife. We're going to be together. (laughs) You know, but really even just the way that she designed or like really brought life to Khadijah in Living Single and like, I mean, she was doing things before we we really had a mainstream appreciation for it. There have always been people doing work that she has been doing, but to have like like the Queen line with CoverGirl precedes Fenty, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. It, in order for Fenty to exist, like it had to be the queen collection right? and like all that she brought to, mm-hmm. you know, she had her hands in multiple different Because if, if we, if we're following the line, the line, it would be Iman, mm-hmm. Iman Cosmetics mm-hmm. and then Queen and yeah. then Fenty. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm just like vividly seeing, you know, her doing her little smile. Yeah. There oh, go my baby. <laughs> Even though she claiming other people publicly now, like I'm feeling that don't matter. That don't matter. (laughs) I know knows where home is. She knows where home is. And I think for me, that was that was the first time. Set it off was the first time that I actually seen stud film representation in a film. I can't. I'm trying to think of if did I see anything before that, right? That I remember. If I did, I, it didn't. It didn't stand out as much as Cleo and her girlfriend with the blonde hair, because that it that was you know being I was that was my teenage years in the queer queer years, and so that's when I was sneaking in the gay, gay club, and that I remember seeing studs with braids and their bl- bald head blonde girl with a sickening body, and you get what I'm saying. That was such a stereotype of black lesbian. Right. We, I've seen that in all the gay clubs that I have ever, you know, that I've been to where, you know, to, so to see it depicted on screen, it was, it was cool to me, even though I, you know, I, I, re, I related to the queerness of it. It didn't, it didn't represent me. It still was something that I was like, oh, these are my people. I remember, yeah. I remember relating like, oh God, I never seen this before. And yeah. that was so powerful to me. Yeah. As a kid, I was so curious. Mm. Like, and I think those everybody has a different journey to like their queerness, but I I I felt like, huh, like it 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 wasn't like a light bulb moment, but it was just like, oh, people don't just be in man and woman relationships. Mm-hmm. Interesting, like, which is why you know I I go back and forth on the whole like representation matters, does it or does it not? Like we have a gay mayor in Chicago and I don't want her representing me (laughs) like (laughs) because oh god like and and black queer and trans organizers have been sounding the alarm about how harmful she is um and at the same time like that's lightfoot right yeah. yeah. Like at the same time, I'm like, well, I do like to see certain experiences depicted on screen because it it affirms that I'm not the only person going through this, that I'm not the only person 
who thinks about this, who fantasizes about this, like, you know, so it's, 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 it's one of those things where I'm like, mm, it, it, it's not enough by itself, but I think if we do so with integrity, like it, it does make a difference, particularly for young people to, when your world is media, when your world is, you know, all the kind of messages that people are giving you about what's normal and what's not. Like, I'm glad that somebody like Lil Nas X exists, you yeah. know? I'm trying not to put him on a pedestal because I try not to do that with celebrities, but I'm just like, you know what? Yes, like, I don't, I, I want him to like continue to grow as an artist. I want to keep following him. I want to keep learning about what he's doing. And um, hopefully, you know, that's the other thing. Cause like, there's a whole bunch of like queer and trans artists who exist. They're just not Lil Nas X big. Right. And I think that's, that, that's an indicator of the shift because of, of any social change, because sometimes the access, what is allowed to be seen is not going to always be the most progressive depiction of us. Like, I remember we had to make those kind of compromises in the 90s when, you know, trans representation, all we saw was fucking Jerry Springer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and we watched it. The girls watched that shit faithfully. Mm-hmm. We would particularly watch Jerry Springer just when we thought that it was going to be a trans girl on there. And was that that depiction the greatest? No, but at the time, it was all we had. It was all we had to kind of talk about and, and, and say, oh, this is one of us. There was no trans representation in the 90s on any show, on anything that was, you know, respectable at all. <laughs> and so this actually was the only depictions. This was the only depictions. And so it allowed our circles to be- not only believe that we weren't the only ones, but at least we can have a conversation with the people in our circles about, yeah, this is how we are, but but let me give you some nuance to that. That's not really how we think, or some of us think like that, but it, it will open up the door to conversation. And so that's all we had. Now, here we go, fast forward to 2020, 2017, 2018. We got a more nuanced, better to me, quote unquote, better. Um, no, it is not. I want to say quote unquote. It is better. It's a better depiction of our experience in like pose and um, in other um, genres that have um, trans characters. These are better depictions that we can feel more secure in. Are they perfect? No, but it's a little bit better and a little less stereotype, stereotypical. And so that's an indicator of how far we have come in the work to get allowed to be able to show our more respectable, um, more nuanced, more um, more human mm-hmm. <laughs> stories. And I think that um, it's based on what's allowed. And so we're seeing more, like, even like when we talk about lesbian representation, it's a more, it's just better. It's just better now. It's not, you know, we're not the side chick. We're not the, um, you know, the side friend that just so yeah. happened to be gay or that, you know, we don't know that gay until season four and then they come out. <laughs> Right. I like what you said about um, to to tell more human stories. Yeah. Like, and I think white people especially have kind of 
really messed up that word human because they're like, I don't see color. I see humans. I'm like, whatever, Jill. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> like, you do see color. I know you see color because when I got in this elevator with you, you moved into the corner. Like, don't even try it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just like, I, I think there's something so beautiful about just the human experience and not as a way of like flattening the contours that make us who we are. Like I, I never want someone to be like, Oh, don't look at me as queer. Don't look at me as trans. I'm just a da da da. Like these are parts of your humanity. They're contours of our humanity. And like, I want to see more stories that like allow the full human kind of spectrum to be shown so that it's not just like romanticizing stuff, but it's also not like demonizing things and people. Um, Cause I definitely, I watched, I watched every season of Pose. Um, and like you said, there were some moments where I was like, Ooh, mm. <laughs> like there was some moments where I was like, we could have written that differently. Um, but I think just being able to tell like a story of family and it's not like the story of, um, people that you're watching on Jerry Springer, like Mm. that was significant. And I, I hope that it, it makes a difference for more people's lives. I know it has made a difference for many people's lives. And I know some people don't rock with it and that's, you know, okay too there because it's, it's art. Sometimes you don't yeah, fuck with it. Exactly. But like you said, it's it's people opening up conversations and like really reflecting on like, oh shit, like I said something I shouldn't have said, or I I spoke to someone else in a way I shouldn't have. Let me reflect on this, you know. That's my hope with media like this. Now But isn't that what makes like great books and great film and great um, just art in particular, particularly storytelling that's based on storytelling is when you take a really specific situation and make it super relatable to people in other different things. That's what that's what most of the great things. That's why we relate to it, because it is such a specific experience that we may not be in, but we have been in situations like that, that we can relate to the uh, underlying human emotional experience. Cause usually that's what it is. If I'm a trans woman who feels um, oppressed, that, that story can translate to some other um, queer person, queer lesbian in, uh, in China or um, the, 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 the person who is trying to, Win this ten, win this chess match that is only girl, only men win chesses like uh, the Queen's Gambit, <laughs> you know. And there's I don't know anything about chess, but I felt her. I've, I've been in a situation where I felt her. Yeah. But you know those we, those make the greatest stories. Look, when Angel and Poppy proposed to each other, I I I think. I saw that episode way after, you know, a breakup. And I was like, yo, this is a whole new paradigm. Like it's a, and I consider myself to be pretty, you know, socialist, feminist, egalitarian, you know, Mm -hmm. try to, I, I try not to like fall into gender roles. But like you said before, with the capitalism thing, 
it's the air that we're breathing and it's the water we're swimming in. And so, you know, even to see the two of them, like make the commitment to each other and it's not, you know, Poppy proposing to Angel as like this patriarchal, you know, this patriarchal script that falls into like this space that's not supposed to be that, this space that's supposed to be queer, that's supposed to be like different, right. like that. And that that's not even my story. Like I am neither Angel nor Poppy, but it, it I remember crying at that episode and being like, this is such a beautiful way to ask somebody to do life with you. Mm. Like it's, it was so them, it was so their relationship. So you're right. Like just to, even if it's not your particular experience, it's supposed, if, if it's, if you do it right, it's supposed to make you reflect on your own life and mm-hmm. be like, hmm. If, if we, let's go old school. Like I remember in Color Purple when Celie and um, Shug kissed in that, in that scene. That's a powerful scene. Everybody know that scene. I remember as a kid, remember as a teenager, as a young adult, there was times when I was shook, where I was introducing somebody to queerness, where I was introducing them to feelings they never felt before about somebody like me, uh, or trying to um, give them a tender moment that they never got to because they've fucking been this super uber masculine person that never got any kind of affection and here my queer ass come showing them a different way and saying actually you can be i can be tender with you i ain't gotta punch you and horseplay with you i can actually be tender with you in this moment and you may not have never felt this and then there's some moments where i was uh silly (laughs) and somebody was introducing me to a different type of intimacy somebody was showing me something I thought that it was supposed to be like this, but this was problematic, da, 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 but then somebody says, nah, actually you are supposed to be pleased in this situation. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to be, there are supposed to be tender with you. You, It's not just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like this and da, 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 da. I've been in both of those situations and I've never been um, in that moment that, that country, I'm not, at that time, I've never been that country girl in a lesbian situation, da, 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 da. I've never, I had never been that, but I related to that situation. It was so powerful. Now you talk about moments. That was a moment. Like <laughs> the red dress. I mean, I'm yeah. Very vividly, like, but it's it even that moment where they're just like kind of exploring each other. And I, I remember seeing like as a kid, or maybe like young teen, and being like, wow, like this is a different way of, of living. Like, you know, that's the representation part of it, but definitely the piece about like the being the one who's being introduced or the one who is doing the introducing and just the different roles that we play across our lifetime. You know, I really resonated with their relationship and there were other parts of like, you know, Celia and her bestie in the beginning um, where I was like, oh, you know, I kind of look back on some of my friendships when I was a kid. I'm like, was that a relationship or like, were we just like very good homegirls? You know, kind of like look back on things you're like, Mm -hmm. huh. Now that I have this information, I'm like, 
reviewing myself in a different way. Yeah. And good art makes you do that. It, it makes you kind of like, just reflect on like what kind of person you are and the person that you want to be too. Yeah. It complicates it. It complicates, to me, it complicates whatever ideology that you may have. I think what makes good creative endeavors is, is people who, the ones that have no villain, that's like, I can understand why this person is doing what they're supposed to do. Well, doing what they're doing. And I understand why this person, even though they're, you know, clashing, I understand why both of those people are invested in whatever they're invested to accomplish. And, you know, when we think about villains, particularly like um, any villain in a story, usually they don't think that they're the villain. They think that they are doing something right for their country or right for their family or right for um, the world. That They think that this is how it should be. I love a good villain origin story. Because it like that word that you use complicates like it. It complicates the assumption that many of us make that people are either good or bad and they're Mm -hmm. always going to be that way. But I love a story that kind of shows how people who behave in evil ways become that way. Like Maleficent um, with Angelina Jolie was like, I'm like, I see why you were in your feelings. I see why why you went through the stuff you went through. Like, I just watched Cruella. Um, I wish they would have chosen another actor for the role of Cruella, but whatever. whiteness i guess <laughs> <laughs> but like even that even that kind of origin story i'm like oh yeah i would totally respond like this if this is what happened to me like even dumbledore would- hmm? dumbledore like it, at the end of it when you realize that this whole time you've been watching this this whole this whole eight uh, the whole well, how many is it eight of them i don't know he right. has been harry's ally he has been harry's you know north star and and you know a champion for harry and then the last one you learn that he actually just was putting this boy out to slaughter like a pig yeah. like i know that this is how whether he dies or not this is how we're going to defeat voldemort and i know this and so we're just going to have to sacrifice harry and learning that in the last one. <laughs> You're going the whole time like, oh, no, this is the good guy. This is the person that Harry can, like, depend on. Yeah. But that was J.K. Rowling telling on herself. Ah! Ah! Was. <laughs> so, 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 so complicated. Well, I think that we have had an amazing conversation talking about things that we didn't plan, but I think it flowed very, very nicely. I I really admire your sense of humor. I admire what you are doing in the world. I appreciate your point of view on so much because when I see your statuses, when I see your tweets, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is why she's on my friends list. This is why she is who she is to me because... You just be thinking about nuance and it's funny and it's um, serious. And it's just just it's just how you complicate situations and how you examine them are so aligned with, you know, making me think deeper sometimes or just uh, it's how I think. And it's so, so on point. This is exactly expressing how 
um, I feel about it. Or, oh, I didn't even think of it like that. Or we agree, but you brought something else into it. And I'm like, so you do that for me all the time. And there's not a lot of people that do that for me. But the people that do it, I fucking love. So I fucking love you, Candace. I appreciate you. And I appreciate what you bring to my world. And I hope that um, anybody who has listened to this that enjoyed this conversation will go find her, go follow her and, you know, and love you as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> you got me over here blushing, you know. Oh, don't do it to me. I'm I'm so glad that we made this time to just be together to tabernacle with one another. Yes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I met you when I did. And I'm so sad that I met you when I did, because two months later, the world closed, mm-hmm. yeah. so, you know, <sighs> but I'm, I am hopeful and hoping for a day when you come on over to this side of the country <laughs> and, we get to love on each other because mm-hmm. literally all the things that you said to me, like I reflect those back to you and I'm like amplifying 10 times more. <laughs> like I'm just, you are such a vision of like grown woman. This is what I think this is what I believe. I'm curious about the world, but also there's some stuff that you just not going to play me on. Right. So um, I'm just glad to be in your orbit and I'm glad that we got to have our little chitty chat tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell the people how they can find you, where they can find you at, and you know, all that good stuff. My personal Twitter is Candy Cornball. Um, I've had that sort of name since college. I'm probably never going to change it. Um, But I also have a website called Fish Sandwich Heaven. And on the website, it's all the stuff that you can, all the ways that you can get connected to me, the Twitter, the Instagram is all there. So fishsandwichheaven.com. I will put all those links down in the bottom. Make sure y'all check her out. And thank you for listening. This has been Marsha's Plate. We'll see y'all next week. All right. Have a wonderful day. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. Hey, sibling. How are you? Hey, brother. Hey sister, how are you? Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We'll be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You gonna say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Every little thing's gonna be alright. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Baby, it's gonna be alright.